San Francisco is a peculiar place to live. Um, I'm not native by any means. I've only lived here for seven years, but that puts me in like the top 2%. And I think once you pass six years, you can start speaking down to other people and being critical of them. Um, So many of you are new to the city. One day you too will be able to turn your nose up. Uh, One of the most peculiar features about life here, and, and we've lived in various places. I grew up in Florida, lived in Kentucky for a while in Texas and then here. But one of the most peculiar features of life here is how you are expected to devote 50% of your conversation wondering why you still live here. It's like a requirement that that's like the small talk uh, is why do I still live there? And, And you do wonder when you're paying your rent, when you're circling for parking, when you're wearing a parka on July 4th and you're still freezing, right? when your pastor uses it as an opening illustration. I'm just like confirming the narrative, right? Um, This sense has only heightened during COVID. Um, You're scrolling Facebook from Florida. And so I'm seeing all of these faraway friends at unmasked parties, just like open mouth laughing, like into each other's mouths. And so I don't know why you would do that at any time, especially under COVID, but it is all over my Facebook feed. Um, I have many family members who have contracted COVID. And you just sort of wonder, like, do these people live in an alternate universe? And they kind of do. Even when you feel pretty settled in San Francisco, and, and thankfully I have felt very settled here, you still then have this internal conversation on behalf of other people where you're wondering, well, are they gonna stay? Are they gonna still be here? And you're sort of like measuring, uh, your life uh, in these terms. And I just wonder, have often wondered how much collective energy our city spends cycling through these questions Uh, because they're not uh, without their effect on us. And so how much energy, how much time do we spend? Uh, Mental, emotional, relational energy, energy that could be applied elsewhere. Um, not just to super serious holy things, but to fun things. We could be open mouth laughing if we weren't um, constantly going over these questions. And I don't think we can place all the blame on San Francisco because if we're honest, we have these kinds of conversations with ourselves about nearly everything. Uh, Maybe you're confident about living in San Francisco, but then you wonder about your neighborhood and you spend lots of time wondering, is this the right neighborhood for me? Is this the right house? Uh, Are these the best roommates? Are my kids in the right school? We wonder if we're at the right job. Am I well slotted? Is there a better company for me? Am I in the right career? How's my work-life balance? The internet just confirms that. Maybe it's just the algorithm that's attached to me and my neuroses, but it seems that half the internet is devoted to examining my life, right? Examining my purchases, examining my decisions, giving out advice that is read much but rarely taken. And so again, how much energy do I spend questioning the details of my life and to what end? We are a restless generation. I picture myself and, and us as a, as a people, as a city, as a person who just can't stop fidgeting. I don't know if you've ever been around a person like that where they just can't get comfortable. There's just so much nervous energy. They can't sit still. I don't know if you've ever been like that where it's not because your clothes are uncomfortable or the seat's bad or the temperature's wrong. It's not because you're actually worried about anything, but you just, you just can't settle in. It's the mood you're in. 
We're restless. And uh, we didn't discuss this. Um, the Hopefully you were so encouraged by the worship this morning that, there, that you really did tell your soul to be still. Be still, my soul. Uh, CJ acknowledged that a lot of us come in with so much energy, so much distraction, so much um, difficulty. And sometimes it's because of, of true, I mean, it's all hardships, so I don't, I, but sometimes it's because of acute hardship that there's something in particular that is upsetting us. But sometimes it's these little pointless questions that give us a sense of disquiet. I want you to hear this morning, if you are in Christ, you can be still. You can rest. You can settle. You can set aside anxious questions about your future and vocation and place. If you are in Christ, you are never in the wrong place. Never. You are never in the wrong role. You are always where you're supposed to be. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you belong there because you belong to God. This is why Jesus can say to us in the Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. That first can feel kind of laughable a little bit, like, to not think about tomorrow. And, and I'm tempted to dismiss Jesus, right? And say, well, you lived in the first century, right? It's a nice thought, but this is 2021, right? This is the global capitalist, crazy technologically driven world. But we can't dismiss Jesus because he's the son of God, obviously, but also because the truths upon which he made that statement still stand. Matthew 6, 31, therefore do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? I think a lot of times, I'm just thinking this now that when I read that verse, I think about it more if people are starving, if they're homeless. But there are lots of other situations where you can ask those questions. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Where it can create a subtle anxiety in us. But the Gentiles seek after all these things your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Your heavenly father knows your needs. And he doesn't just know them because he's omniscient. He knows your need as a father knows the needs of his children. God is your father, your heavenly father. You belong to him your future belongs to him. Your well-being belongs to him. Your purpose belongs to him. You belong to God. Elsewhere, Paul reminds Christians in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. So do not be anxious about where you are or what you're doing. Don't be anxious about who you are. We live in a world and in a city really leading the world in anxiety about identity, about who we are. We worry about it deeply. Galatians 3.28, though, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Don't divide yourself into groups. Don't segregate. You are Christ's. Belonging is one of the sweetest gifts of the gospel. And the gift of belonging has a ripple effect, but kind of the opposite of it, where our world is so churned up and stormy, right? And the gospel drops in and it calms everything. Our hearts and lives and relationships and communities are churning. And then Jesus speaks over the storm and says, you belong, you are mine. In the gospel, we have been redeemed from sin and death, meaning that we no longer have to seek cover in our circumstances, in privilege and success, in identity and place. You've been rescued from death, purchased by the blood of Jesus so that we belong not to Satan nor even to ourselves, but to God. And if we belong to God, the one God who reigns over the entire universe, and that means we belong anywhere and everywhere. We can belong anywhere. And we do belong wherever we are because he put us there. And so that must be where we're supposed to be. Was talking with someone about um, an impending move. And, you know, whenever you make a big move, um, there's all kinds of stressors and, and you're wondering if you're making the wise choice and, you're, you know, you look at the pros and cons, but then there's just this, you got to make the decision. And I just spoke to this friend. I said, you know, if you're living your life out of your love for God and others, if that's the center of where you are, then do what you want to do. You're free. Wherever you go, if you stay here, if you move away, you belong there. If you are living out of faith in Christ. If you are living your life out of your love for God and others, out of your union with Christ, his death and resurrection, you are never outside the will of God. You are never out of place. And so maybe you're wrestling with questions of belonging in San Francisco or belonging in your job or belonging in relationship with yourself, with your family history and identity. I just want you to close your eyes and breathe that gift in your God-given sense of belonging, that you didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but in Christ, by grace through faith, you have it. You belong to God, you belong to Jesus. You belong to this planet and to the story of redemption God is weaving, and you can never pass out of that belonging. Where are you restless? Let your belonging calm that restlessness. Say to yourself, I belong to God, and that means I belong here, in this moment, to this church, and to this city. The details might change. Tomorrow has enough worries for itself. You can worry about tomorrow, but right now, this is a place where you can be calm and say, I belong here. Keep having conversations about tomorrow, where you'll live, where you'll work. Like those are still really important conversations to have, but hopefully the character of those conversations, the emotion of those conversations changes when you remember that no matter where I go, I belong to God. I'm his child. And hopefully though, we'll also have less of those conversations 
because there'll be a contentment. Our text for today is from 1 Peter. And 1 Peter was written to an ostracized church, a church that had been cast out of civil society. Uh, Their belonging had been removed from them. And it'll be a few years before Christians are killed in mass for their faith. And so they're not facing execution, but they are facing excommunication uh, from various spheres. And so maybe they've been kicked out of their families. Maybe they are suffering economically. They are likely enduring harsher treatment from masters and magistrates and husbands, people in authority. Altogether, they are politically and relationally homeless. They don't belong. But Peter across the whole book, he pushes back on this narrative and he tries to give them a a way to think through the tension of their life. And he calls them elect exiles. That's what he opens the verse, the book with. And then he extends that analogy through the whole book. And so elect exiles, he is acknowledging in one sense that they are homeless, that they are exiles politically, culturally, economically, But in a deeper sense, they are chosen. They're elect, more secure than anyone else on the planet because they are at home with God. And so the world might consider them exiles, but God calls them chosen. They belong to God. And the entire book of 1 Peter is written to help the early church navigate that tension. How do I work through the tension of being both exiles and at home in God? One of the ways Peter helps the church uh, is by pointing out how Jesus underwent the same experience. So there's constant connections with their experience to Jesus's experience. And so as we wonder what it looks like to be an elect exile, people who carry carry our belonging inside of us rather than our circumstances, Jesus is such a great model for us. Consider how beautifully Jesus moved through the world. He didn't have like a three-year game plan. Like when he, like he, I mean, he actually even set the miracle at Cana, right? He's like, I'm not ready. For, this is not what I'm supposed to do right now. So if he did have one, it, he didn't follow it. So he didn't plot out, I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna do this and then I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna like go exactly through. He just moved about the world in obedience to his father, in connection with the spirit. He lived by prayer and following the spirit's guidance. He was confidently humble, confident in his status as God's son, humbly receiving his circumstances, even though Jesus was literally homeless. He was literally without a home, but he feels fully at home wherever he is. Um, I, I, I don't know if any of you, I've been so surprised by the uh, YouTube TV show, like this is not some of the phrase that I normally would utter ever, um, but The Chosen, which is the like, bio, it's the like season uh, series on Jesus. I can't tell you how great it is. And I am, and I, no one's more flabbergasted than me that like a Christian produced biopic of Jesus is any good. It is so fantastic. And you love Jesus so much watching it. And so I just encourage you to like pay the $23 on YouTube. I've never paid YouTube anything, but I paid it so that I could get it and watch it. And it is so sweet to see how Jesus moves through the world. And then, and then to realize that like chosen is not so much about him, 
but it's about the people that he chooses. Like that's the whole emphasis is like, who does he choose? And it's just, you love Jesus so much. And I want to move through the world like he moves through the world. Um, I want to follow him. And in the Bible, he is just so grounded in his belonging to God. He's so confident in his sonship that he has a father who loves him. He feels the spirit's anointing. And so he just moves about freely without anxiety. Just like the early Christians, Jesus was both rejected by the world and chosen by God. First Peter 2, 4, as you come to him, to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so Peter uses the same words for Jesus that he uses for the Gentile Christians. Jesus was rejected, but in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. And in the same way, the early church is chosen and precious. They are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Note how with this metaphor, Peter is redefining place. He's redefining religious place rather than a place being something physical like a temple or a city or a house. Place is simply where Jesus is believed with others. That's what church is. It's a, pl- it's a community, a place where Jesus is believed alongside other people. That's where home is for the Christian. That's where belonging is found. And not only is it where we belong, it's also how we become a place of belonging for the world, a temple, a priesthood. So that the temple is not just for us, but it is for the world. That's why this week being a church who belongs, we're in a series on the church and, and on the activity of the church. We're a church who believes, we're a church who worships, we're a church who belongs. The reason this is so important is not only for our own uh, gift. Um, it's not only something we enjoy, but belonging is a gift we give to others. In such an unsettled city, in such an anxious world, we, we're not anxious about our place in the world. We aren't restless about our identity or future. We feel grounded, not in our circumstances, but in God who controls our circumstances. And so we carry with us a non-anxious presence throughout the city. We have access to an anchor that other people don't have access to. And that is a gift. If citizens can be a church that belongs Not saying that we have to like write our life away and commit our whole life to San Francisco, but just today, today we belong here, right now. Your presence in this city, on your street, in your company, in your family should bring the temperature down because you belong to God. Other people should feel greater peace in their life. Our kids' school is next to a convent And it's affiliated with the Missionaries of Charity, which is the order uh, started by Mother Teresa. And so they wear the white sari with the blue border, uh, just like Mother Teresa does. And I love seeing people in religious dress. It just captures me because it just sets them apart. And 
frees them to move about the world in a different way. And so when I see them outside, just like watering plants, it, it feels different than when I see my neighbor outside watering plants because they are communicating like an otherworldliness to themselves that actually makes them more grounded. That phrase like, uh, this is an, I don't know if it's a Southern phrase that you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Are you guys familiar with that phrase? It's, it's so bogus, right? If we're heavenly minded, we should be tremendous good to the earth, right? Like we should be so heavenly minded that we are full of good. So much good should come from us. These nuns inspire me to bring that same energy when I'm with my neighbors and friends in the city. A peace and confidence and humility that roots much deeper than my circumstances. Because of our belonging, Christians are free to move about the world in an entirely different way. Later in 1 Peter, the apostle tells us to be ready. 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. When's the last time someone questioned me about my hope? Peter implies that I should be ready for it. And so if I'm ready, but it never happens, like, what, is that, what does that say about me? What does it mean? Does it mean that my hope isn't that obvious to people? My sense of peace, my sense of grounding. Our sense of belonging is not just for us, but it's for others too. And it's not just something that we lend to people, but it's actually a belonging that we offer to people. That's what we're here to do is to offer the belonging. You can belong too. God is king over everyone, not just us. Jesus died for others too. He loves others too. And that means they belong on the earth as much as we do. Not because they deserve it, because they like us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. There is a steady drumbeat through the Bible of being cast out from God's presence. That is all through scripture, that image of being cast out and thrown out of not belonging. And yet there is a melody of mercy, right? There is grace through faith in Christ. Forgiveness is available. You can be brought in. Belonging with God is available. It all hinges on one's connection to Christ. 1 Peter 2, 6, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Picture a devastated Jerusalem, a devastated temple, and Yahweh saying, I'm gonna build a new temple, and he puts Jesus as the cornerstone of the temple, like this is the center of the temple. And if you wanna be part of the temple, you attach yourself to him. If you reject it, you reject me. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. And so to belong to God, you don't have to have a certain temple. You don't have to have a certain pedigree. You don't have to do anything really. You just have to believe in Jesus. You have to trust him to receive him. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, but whoever disbelieves will. Peter continues in verse nine, affirming our identity in Christ. 
He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. These are direct references to the people of Israel, titles given to Israel in the Old Testament. And Peter is applying these Old Testament titles to Gentile believers. First, we are a chosen race. Doesn't matter what your biology is, doesn't matter what your culture is, you have been grafted into a new race, a new people. Conversations about race are often conversations about belonging. And in a year that is awash in talk of race, 1 Peter 2.9 needs to be top of mind for the Christian. It needs to shape us that we are a chosen race. It doesn't matter if you're from Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, or Bithynia. Greek, barbarian, Scythian, Jew, white, black, Asian, Latino, male, female, you are all one in Christ. We belong to God. I belong to you and you belong to me. We are a chosen race. Not only that, we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, not just a people, but a kingdom. Stately and dignified, storied and rich. We can hold our head high. We belong to the kingdom of God. I have a friend who's British and he regularly makes fun of us Americans, but he often talks about the effect of us um, Americans declaring independence and sort of just like starting from scratch and what that does to our spirituality. The fact that when we hear Lord and King, like we don't have like a, a thing to connect that with where he does. And his, you know, he acknowledges all that's difficult and hard with it, but when he is a kingdom of priests, when he calls Jesus Lord, the house of Lords like helps him think about that. And I'm challenged by that. What does it mean that I am a royal, a part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation? I am a part, we are a people for his own possession. It's a phrase taken from Exodus 19 at Sinai at the start of Israel. And in the Hebrew, God calls Israel his treasured possession, which is kind of uh, speaking of London, like the crown jewels. She has lots of jewels, but she has crown jewels. She has some that she thinks are extra special. I don't know why, but they are there. They They are Britain's treasured possession. We are God's treasured possession. Moses is acknowledging that God is the creator. He owns everything and everyone, but he has chosen little, tiny, insignificant Israel to be the crown jewel of all all that God owns. And so for the Christian, this means that not only do you belong to God, but God considers you one of his most precious belongings. He owns the galaxies, but you are his treasured possession. He owns sharks, crazy. (laughs) You are more treasured by him than the wildest creation. You are not a throwaway item to him. He loves you. He delights in you. 
you belong to God. And not just in a general sense, you belong front and center of his mind. Lest these titles turn us prideful, Peter continues and tells us our story. We are not his treasured possession because we deserve to be there. First Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Whatever place you belonged before, it was a merciless place. You were cast out, but you now have received mercy. So all these titles, I didn't earn them and I don't have to earn them. I don't have them on layaway where I just have to earn my, perform my way into deserving it. No, I am a chosen race. I am a royal priesthood. I am a people. I am God's child by mercy. Imposter syndrome is real, and that drives so much of our insecurity around belonging. We don't feel like we belong because we don't feel like we deserve to belong. And the gospel just cuts the teeth out of that because the reality is you don't deserve to belong, but you belong anyways, because God is the loving kind. That's what he does. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I hope you receive this sermon as good news. That it can't, it won't take away the hard circumstances and the tough decisions that you have to make. Like it won't eliminate that. But I hope it just brings a peace through it. You belong to God. You are chosen, you are forgiven, you are adopted, you are destined, you are treasured. And there's nothing anyone can do, including you, to change that. You belong to God. If you belong to Christ, you belong to God. Now, there are two ways to hear this truth, to deliver it. And throughout most of the sermon, my desire has been for the delivery to be encouraging. Right, to the one who feels restless and anxious, doubtful, discouraged, who feels like they don't belong here, who's new to the city, doesn't know where. Be encouraged, brother and sister. You belong to God. You belong to the people of God. You belong here. But there is a way to deliver this truth in a sharper way because sometimes it's not that I doubt my belonging to God. It's just that I'd rather belong elsewhere, right? Where there are times where I know my belonging, but I sort of am, am pining after a different place or pining after independence. I don't want to belong to anybody. I'm tired of belonging to God. I'm tired of belonging to the people of God. And to that, the same truths come, but with just a little more spice in them, right? Instead of you belong to God, it's you belong to God. You belong to the people of God. Why are you spending so much time and energy elsewhere? This is where you're supposed to be. Why do you care so much about what those people think? Why are you investing so much in belonging there? Why are you reading those articles, thinking about that history, that future, like you belong to God? And I don't know which way you need to hear this truth or in what ways you need to hear both of them. 
Do you find yourself anxious and aimless, discouraged, lonely? Friend, you belong to God, you belong here. Do you find yourself tempted, covetous, envious, distracted, ambivalent? Brother, sister, you belong to God. You belong here. My desire for citizens is that we would be a people who belong, who walk about this city with an unshakable identity, a groundedness that exceeds our circumstances. What would happen if we brought that energy into our jobs, into our marriage, into parenting, into your school, your neighborhood, our politics, our families of origin, if we brought our sense of belonging to God into those spaces. I belong to God and so I belong here. Church, we are a people who belong to God, a people who belong to the church, who belong to each other, who belong in this place, no matter if the place rejects us because San Francisco doesn't have rights over itself, right? San Francisco is God's place. He decides who lives here and who doesn't. And he has decided, at least for today, that you and I live here. You belong, I belong, we belong. What if our church confidently embraced our belonging? Friends, you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful for the grace of God. We're thankful for the gospel, which doesn't deal with our sin in a cold way. Um, as just a thing about accounting where we just receive forgiveness and then we're off scotch-free, but which leads to adoption, which leads to belonging, which leads to being your people, your children, brothers and sisters of each other. Thank you for the truth that we belong to you and so we belong wherever we are, Father, would you help us not to be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough anxieties for itself to not worry and spend God knows how much time. Father, forgive me for, for wondering what I wear and what I eat and what I drink and where I'll live. Help me to seek first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. All those things will be added to us. Father, would we be a church who belongs in the city and brings that belonging to others, brings that peace, a non-anxious presence, a stillness? And would we do it so much and so um, would it be carried along by the Spirit into other people's hearts so that they would ask us, what is the reason for the hope that is within you? Help us to be prepared to answer that it is Christ. Christ is the reason. We love you. Thank you for loving us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.